Hey everybody, this is Kim Blackwell and Louis Extravaganza and this is Work, Work, the podcast. Voices for the voices that go unheard. We have today on the show the effervescent. Don't you love that word? I mean, if you must use it, <laughs> I guess I'll take the it. The fantastically fabulous Kathy Deach. You are the sweetest. I love for her. This Philadelphia native is a beautiful singer, actress, director, and vlogger. And we're going to get into all that uh, in a minute, but really quick. Hey, Podcaster. <laughs> yeah, podcaster. <laughs> How about hey Kim? Oh, how about hey Louis? <laughs> <laughs> but wait, is it a podcast or a vlog cast? It's both. Oh, it, okay. It is a video podcast, which we call vodcast, like vodka. Oh. <laughs> Slightly, only slightly related. Do you actually consume vodka when you we listen to the podcast? We have before because of a vodka sponsor <laughs> once. If anyone liked to be our vodka sponsor, yeah, we can drink that. on the air. It's fine. Um, you know, it was important because it's a show about plus size women and we're not seen anywhere. Right. Um. So 68% of American women are size 14 and above, but we're only seen in TV, media, and film less than 2% of the time. So we, you know, had the choice to do a podcast, which is a voice in the ether. Yeah. But we wanted people to see our fatness and like see how cute we were. <laughs> and you know, we had cute clothes. I need to show people. I got, I got hairstyles. Uh, you know. <laughs> I got an earring choice. I need people to know. I so, love you yeah. so much. <laughs> okay, so we're uh, we're gonna get into all of that, but really quickly, you are not only a singer, you're an actress, director, podcaster, vlogger, the whole madness. You made your Broadway debut in the original class of Footloose. Yeah. And then you created the role of Shen Shen in the smash Broadway hit Wicked. I know. Which is very exciting to me, right? Yeah. <sighs> So anyway, welcome to the show. Credit you. Credits. Credits. I'm Boo. surprised you didn't bring up Magic Mike XXL because every gay guy wants to know everything about Matt Bomer. Well. <laughs> you're trying to hold back? I'm Is trying, that what you're to trying to hold back say? because I know you're we're going to get into it. it. Okay, okay. It, it was supposed to be a surprise. Oh, and sorry about it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding because, of course, you know, everybody knows if they know Kathy Deach that she was in. Magic Mike, double XL. <laughs> oh, trust. We're going to get into Magic we're Mike. We're get into I that. will remind you at any turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so really quick. You were born in Philadelphia, the suburbs of Philadelphia. Yes. By the airport. By the airport. Which explains so much about me. <laughs> yeah. So you were singing since you came out of the womb or? Yeah. I. You know, my dad, when I was doing the opening night party thing with my parents, which is always a treat. Like, do yourself a favor, get into a Broadway show so you take your parents to the party. It's just like literally life, hashtag life goals. Um, That's awesome. My dad doesn't really drink and got kind of wasted that night. And he's on his tux and he's going around to everyone. I knew she's going to be on Broadway. She's this big. <laughs> and they have these like stories of me at like three years old, blowing kisses at the Lawrence Welk show at the end of it. Oh, like yeah. I loved Lawrence Welk and I would dance around. And I know this is true because I've seen the movies, the home movies of it. So yes, I guess I always sang. I There's this infamous cassette tape. Yes, kids, old enough to record things on cassette tapes. I um, What's that? I know. You used to be able to like wind them up if you ruined them and pulled the tape oh out. yeah get the pencil um, eraser yeah yes exactly so i guess i bullied my across the street neighbor nikki Gregg into making a tape recording of us singing christmas carols and i was probably like seven and i am singing every verse of everyone like I didn't just sing Silent Night I sang like four verses of Silent Night and I memorized them all and she's in the background like tr- making up words like, nah, 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 nah. and she's like what the it's like I don't know you got to do all she, that what is this girl singing for tw-? and I was like son <laughs> of God loves pure light just like seven <laughs> and singing every verse so yeah I've always been this 
asshole speak my French <laughs> since I was a kid. <laughs> so dumb. I could just imagine your friend just side eye like, uh, this was supposed to be fun. Just like, when are we going to play games? Are we going to play hopscotch? <laughs> no! Right? We're Over, going to do this. <laughs> Overachieve much, girl? God. I, I loved all the words. I live. I did. I've always been um, like radio obsessed, learning every word to every song, which is why when I learn them wrong, it's always hilarious to me. Like when we were doing Footloose, that um, song... Uh, baby, when we're grinding, I get so excited. Oh, yeah. Like, Ooh, no one. Like yeah. It. Like, <laughs> I remember Sean. I will never forget Sean Dawson. We would, like, always be jamming. We were down D.C. We were out <laughs> the bar. We were all jamming to it. And he'd be like, I can't believe girls like this song. And we're like, it's amazing. What's there not to like? And he was like, well, what it's about. Like, it's kind of shady. And we're like, what are you talking about? He's like. I feel a little poke coming through from you. And I was like, is that what it says? Like, I had like completely thought it was something else, I guess, to protect my virginity. Yeah. I don't know what. I'm so sure. But, um, but I, I was laughing about it because it came on the radio today in the car. And I was like, wow, I really didn't want to know those words no, until Sean Dawson. Li- and we all went... And then we kept dancing. We're like, it's still good. We don't care. It's a yeah. jam. No, it's all about to you dance it all up on this dude who has his dick hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what the song is about. Yeah. Yeah. And I did not put that together back in the day. <laughs> and how she likes it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, let's get to that. Yeah. She's, she's happy. Like, she's happy. It doesn't go minor in that part. No. <laughs> she stays in the key. She's she good. stays right in that key. <laughs> So how long did you do Footloose for? Uh, well, out of town, and then I did the workshop, too. So since 1997, and then I left, like, 99 in, like, the summer. And then it lasted until, like, till the next June. So I left a little early. How does that feel to be on Broadway? Was that definitely, like, a dream come true for you? It was. You know, I often talk about this. You know, people want me to do talkbacks all the time to, like, theater departments and kids groups who are aspiring. And I always say, you know, I was 24 and had like a life goal come true. And one of my best friends, Kevin Free, was like, now what? Now what you going to do? And it was a very real existential crisis. It was like not, you know, because it's always never what you think it's going to be. First of all, it is so much hard work. Like, that's the thing nobody tells you is that, yes, it's like the love and the jam of your life. But it is so much work. And obviously you working with someone who is as perfectionistic as Madonna must know that. Like you rehearse harder than anybody on this planet knows how to rehearse. You know what I mean? Like, and AC Sula, the choreographer, was hard but was fun. Like he wasn't a taskmaster, but it's still you know so you, eight shows a week. Eight shows a week, and then there's this period where they call them ten out of twelves, which means you work ten hours out of a twelve hour period, meaning you get like a hour and a half lunch break and two 15 minute half hour breaks or something and so you're in the theater for 12 hours basically and they allowed equity allowed 14 days of this in a row without a day off so you literally look like a vampire at one point and like the sunlight hurts you're like oh oh god (laughs) um but, it, but I'm on Broadway. Exactly. But it's amazing. I'm on Broadway. <laughs> and it is amazing. And it's so fun. But by the time the show comes and you're actually doing the show, you're like, oh, my God, this is so much easier because that rehearsal period before is brutal. Um, but I didn't. I There was also like a little part of me that never, I think, really allowed myself to imagine like uh, like to say I'm going to be 24 and on Broadway like. I think it was something I floated way away from myself. So I didn't have that like ambition, like mama needs to make it by 25. You know, I wasn't that. I wasn't like a cuckoo. So when when it happened, I was like, oh, snap, this is actually happening. And every minute of it, I was sort of like, it really kept me present. You know what I mean? Because I was so... Like, oh, this is how, oh, oh, we're going, oh, we're doing this in Times Square. We're doing, oh, okay, oh, we're doing this. You know, I'm recording in the studio where Mariah Carey did her first album. Oh, okay. Like, like stuff like that is bananas. That's the stuff you can't even fathom. 
So when you're becoming a performer, was it Broadway was the goal or just to be an actress, just to perform, to do all the things? I just wanted to do it. And yeah. I wanted people to let me do it. And being somebody who I've always been like a size 14, 16, um, and, and not a bit above 5'2". I tried to stretch, didn't work, still 5'2". <laughs> so I was always like hoping for that opportunity. You know, when people say no to you a lot, you sort of make your own opportunities. So I got to really find out what integrity was about mm -hmm. really young and in college. And I, I teach now at a BFA program on, they allow me to teach them the history of Broadway and popular song. That's just amazing to me. But, um, <laughs> but I do get to teach the class I always wanted to have. And I was telling them a story about my first gig, which is the European tour of hair. And I'm going to date myself, but it was during the Balkan war. Yeah. And we were going to Croatia, the capital of Zagreb. So I have a visa in my passport that were the dates that the Dayton agreement was being signed, the peace agreement in Ohio. We were there. So the war was like tail ending. But there was like a bomb threat the day before at our hotel. So like, you know, it was very real. And men of the town, of the entire country, but Zagreb, the capital especially, were drafted. And we got taken out after the show by a bunch of students who were thrilled that hair was there and they all knew it, which is so fascinating to me because wow. I didn't know it. I was really sheltered and didn't know it, but they knew it. And they said, you know, our men would be here if they weren't drafted. You were telling our story tonight. So when you do something like that and have that life experience, like that's what theater, what? My first professional first job. Gig, yeah. So everything has to live up to that, right? Like, so that sort of set the pattern of my life. Like, we laugh about Footloose all the time. The critics were really mean about it. But the truth of the matter is it's about a town that is grieving a bunch of dead children. And it really was about something. And parents of kids who had been killed in drunk driving accidents would come and say to us all the time, thank you, oh, because wow. I haven't been able to cry about this. Yeah. And I got to cry, and then I got to laugh, and then I got to celebrate all in one night. And... It's about something. Wicked, obviously, is about something. So I've just been really blessed that when I have done the big thing, it's about something. God, and talk about the big thing. I mean, Wicked is a really, really big, big thing. Do you know when we were in San Francisco doing it out of town, we literally were like, is this good? Like, we were, before, <laughs> before the audience got there, yeah. we were so cuckoo-cachoo because... Of the flying and because of alphabet flying, the monkeys flying, mm -hmm. the flatheads. I mean, there's so many elements that needed work. The tech was like three and a half weeks long, which is absurd. Yeah. I had date because I was not a flying monkey. Thank you, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I had days off, complete days off during tech, which never happens. So I was like running those streets of San Francisco. <laughs> I was like, flower child. <laughs> I was like running up to the Oh, I was like, where the beatniks? I'm gonna be with the beatniks. I'm gonna be with the hippies. Were like, I mean, I live my best life in San Francisco. Like this is my summer of love, honey. I did right. exactly. I needed to. I needed to get back in. Um, I yeah. So that's like unheard of, and that's so that's how big the tech was. So by the end of it, we were like. We're going to lose our minds. Also, it was, everyone's like, it's going to be cold. You're going to be cold. We were there in May, June, July. It's going to be cold in San Fran. It was literally the hottest <laughs> it had ever been, ever, ever. And nothing has air conditioning. Uh. So we're in layers of clothing. I have a wool, basically Catholic schoolgirl uniform on, and then tapestry outfit and a hat uh, and in the wing, no space, just like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. It was really intense. So that's what we were going through as we were teching. And we were like, is this good? Like, we didn't know. And that audience got in there. And the show was like 15 minutes longer because Kristen Jenoweth is a genius, basically. And people just lost their minds. So this is all even before it hit Broadway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. in San Francisco, we knew. By the time we were leaving San Francisco, tickets were being scalped for like $1,500 a ticket. And this is like many moons ago. Yeah. Well, you, I'm sure when that, you know, when that defying gravity hit, honey, it was oh like, yeah. 
people are with <laughs> the, themselves. Go, it's the, I mean, the, just yeah. the end of the themselves. first act. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. It really, people did, like lost their damn minds. Yeah. yeah. It was insane. I, ga- I mean, the first time I saw it, I gagged. I was like, how did they just do that? <laughs> that was awesome. Like Long literally, I was still sitting in my seat like, what the hell just happened? Spectacle. I mean, there's so much going on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It was fabulous. Yeah. How is that to be a part of something that's basically a phenomenon, right? It. You know, it's wild. Uh, when It's amazing to me there are kids who haven't been alive, who were not alive when I was in that show, who, when I say I'm in that show, are like, oh, what? Like, it's it's crazy to think that I was in a show that, like, I was obsessed when I was a freshman in high school with Phantom of the Opera. I never saw it. I just loved that music. I would sit in the dark and listen to it like a crazy person. I was always <laughs> in the dark listening to music. And um, it was the only, like, time to be alone in my house because it was a tiny house with so many people. So I'd be, like, in my just earbuds, three in the morning listening. Um, and... So to think that like I'm in the Phantom that was Phantom for me, like I'm that some kid is in their room listening to it like me and they're hearing like some terrible green and they're like listening to me do that. It's kind of weird. It, it really is. You know, I'm a platinum recording artist. I got one on my, one on my wall. Thanks. Uh-huh. And that's something like I always wanted. I always wanted to be a platinum record. I didn't think it would happen this way, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it will always exist. Long before when you're not here yeah. anymore, like it will live on. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that, you know, after I did my whole thing with Madonna and everything and I was trying to kind of find my footing in like Hollywood and, you know, doing the audition thing and feeling at one point just a little down on myself. And somebody was like, honey, you have you have, st- you know, you have put a stamp on history you have Every, stamped on it with the legendary yeah. children. With the legendary children. <laughs> yeah. And so, Forever you know, and ever, amen. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. He, they were like, if you never do anything ever again, you can say you did this. It's something that's tangible and that everybody knows and blah, blah, blah. So that must be the feeling for you as for, well. You know what? It was that feeling with Footloose because the Richard Rogers Theater is so historic. Now yes. there's Hamilton's in there. Like, yeah. In the Heights, I think, was in there before. Like, it is a crazy rich history that you're a part of it. And it had already felt that way with Footloose. Yeah. So wicked was like the icing on the cake, like to know what like the government job is like to know, like I actually left the show and went back and they accepted me and like, let me back in. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. kind of crazy. Like, but I also have a two year limit. I feel like I have to make amends on the show. Like I feel like I should just start making amends to people after two years of wicked or any show, frankly, I lose my damn mind. Just <laughs> like, burned you out. Know, these people that do like the 20 years in oh, a show, it's... I'm just like, do you like, have like personality disorder detachment <laughs> like do you just like put yourself in a box and go to another like how do you do this because after two years my body also breaks down though my body was is never happening doing the same thing yeah and by the end of both times I did Wicked because I did four out of five years I did two years and then I left for a year and then went back for two more my body just with it's on a rake stage and just with all my costumes and heavy wigs and heavy dresses and everything the same body parts hurt you know yeah. just from repetitive movement right. yep and I was doing six days a week of physical therapy just to be in the show so like my life was doing the show there was like no escaping and then there was like rehearsals on top of it yada yada so then at rehearsal I was always hella resentful when, by the time the end came Just and like, I was not, oh I, and I was and I was not nice to people right. like Lisa Leguio Stephen Ramos I feel like I have to make amends to you here I am publicly doing it like I really was not I, and I was crazy like yeah. I, like I would not I was not myself. I was insane and would leave and then be like, oh, that was like physical pain that was doing that to you and repetitive thing because I was always really like, 
this has to be the best show I ever did because it's somebody's first time and only time. And I always felt the huge responsibility of that because I was the poor kid who did the TKTS or like the lottery or like the standing room Mm -hmm. in the back. And that would be the only way I could do it. So I always felt a huge responsibility. I'll never forget one of the best compliments I ever got. It was like two years into the show. And Joe Mahota, I think, was representing Megan Hilty or wanted to or something. And, you know, he was an actor in Footloose on the road. So I knew him very well. And he's now like a big agent, which is hilarious at CAA. And he came backstage and was like, it was like a Saturday matinee. And he was like, Kathy Deitch giving an opening night performance on Saturday matinee. And I was like, <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> like, you get it. He's like, I don't understand it. But do it, girl. Do it on Saturday morning. Why for the did kids. you just take me there? I could literally picture him walking in, like, oh. scarf around his neck, declaring <laughs> this statement. He was hysterical. so sweet about it. He's he makes me laugh every time I run into him in the city. I love it. We have shenanigans. It's so that's also really fun. Please talk about this too with me. Like <laughs> seeing like babies, like children that you knew that you would like cuddle and like I want to suckle you. You know. Like yeah, they're just like kids, <laughs> and then you see them be these big deals, and it's like unreal. It's it's bananas, so yeah. exciting, and it's I'm sure bananas. you see that a lot. I see that all the you know I see it all the time. I just think that what we do is so cool, and that storytelling is storytelling is storytelling, right. and people find the way to do it, and that's just exciting. And it's amazing because when you're creative, you really have to do it. There's, you're just not going to go and get the job at the post office. You're going to be miserable. So finding, if it's not acting, then great that you found something else that fulfills that. Because, you know, we're just not, we're not made of those ingredients yeah. of the nine to five. No. I wish. When you're not, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You but you toured with Wicked too. Now, did For you do, bit. did you tour, did Teeny you do tiny. the Broadway thing and then tour and then go back to Broadway? Or yeah. You did? So I... I left. Come on now. Stay I it. left this show. And she left, y'all. She left broke up with show. them. Um, I left the show to go do something I had done in readings even before Wicked. Um, was finally having a production. I got to play young Dusty Springfield. So it was, it was like I another got to musical. Sing. Yeah, it was like a play with music about her. Right. But I got to sing her music and that's awesome. Ha- like be funny and tragic and have a British accent and like. It literally was like the dream part, right? It was like you got to do all the things. Um, so I had to leave and go do it, which is risky, and you do it. And um, then they asked me to go on the road because the girl who's in my track was like, need to take a leave. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And it was Stephanie Block, who was Alphaba, who had become my dearest friend when we had done it out of town in um, San Francisco. Francisco. And she was in the ensemble. And I, during rehearsals... At, I think we were at we we're at 890 then or were we at 42nd Street. I can't remember. But they had like the little we you know, we call them the towers and they had like little mock-ups of the towers in rehearsal and we hid behind one because we were like supposed to be there um while they were working with dancers and we went over her lines for Boy from Oz for her audition. Oh <laughs> was, wow. Like, working on her lies and stuff. And then she ended up booking it. It was crazy. I was like a whole crazy thing too. But so I, then I was on the road with her and it was so fun being on the road with her. It was just like, you know, she's like adventurous too. And, and you know, Carol Kane. Carol Kane drove me around in Houston. She like took me to like the Rothko Chapel in Houston. Like, I mean, like I, she, we went to like a thrift store. We went thrifting with her. She, I feel like she bought me a ring. I might have like, like Carol Kane. Like yeah. what? Right? We're thrifting right now yes. with Carol Kane. She was she's a tremendous human. Yeah. So it was really it was fun until I like again wanted to be home for the holidays. You just give up too many. Yeah. You know, on that schedule. You just can't. And you know, I was I had little ones at the time, like my niece and my nephew, and I was like, I want to see them. They're yeah. little. Yeah. You know, so uh so then I left. They they wanted me to stay and I was like, can't live this road life. Can't I have to go. So I'm a gypsy though. I I loved the road. Did loved you? It. Yeah, I love traveling. I loved, you know, tomorrow we're gonna be in, you know, Houston. And like, yes. Let's I feel go. like when I was younger, I was so much better at it. I mean, that hair tour was a one nighter tour. 
So we were on the bus four to eight hours a day traveling. And I did that at 22. And we did it. Like, I mean, I have the photo albums to prove it. Um, We, like, went cray. And I have all the, like, stuff that I sent home. Just so many things. This is my first time in Europe. It was, like, I went absolutely. Oh, yeah. 22 Europe. Yeah, Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if my tour, if the the Wicked Tour had done different, I mean, we were in Texas for, like, half of the time. (laughs) Like, I don't need to be in Texas that long ever so it was just it was and it was gonna be in all the cold places in the winter and i was like you know what i'd rather be with my homies yes and also like you always hit your limit like it wasn't that so i had left over the summer and then i was back in september on the road so it was like there wasn't a huge gap for me doing it so i was already i still was injured like i still had the same crap same thing wrong with me so right. you know you were but no i listen i love traveling and you just I've got been, back i just got back from I did, what were you doing girl i sang with our lady J at jazz lincoln center oh just a little you because know venue called lincoln F&D center and she's <laughs> she is a big F&D american deal. songbook series they asked her and her new music is amazing we did seven of her new songs and like with what time she has no time she's writing on pose she's like doing all these new things like she's out of control in like everybody wants her doing award give people are giving her awards everywhere and she's like by the way we have to rehearse these songs let's do it I was like okay and she's somehow recording them and doing them but they are tremendous it's like such up leveling and just it's so good she did a song with Sia and Sia like let her like basically basically have it because Sia never released it called Heart oh, Attack. It is so, so cool. over. I mean, it was, it's so dope. Yeah. She has really cool stuff. So, and, and so now another bucket list, like I saw things at Jazz Lincoln Center going, oh, the space, the sound, like to Phenomenal. sing there would be crazy. Yeah. And then I was there and it was crazy. It was unreal. It was so beautiful. It was transcendent. She's amazing. Everyone just go look up our Lady J and like oh get God. her music. I L O V E Our Lady J. That's all I gotta say. She knows how I feel about her, girl. You know I love you to bits. (laughs) I live, live, live everything Our Lady J. I just live. So that being said, when you're gonna be on my show, girl? That's what I'm calling you out. Anyway. You might have to bring your setup over to her fabulous apartment so she can like play something for you. And have her little dogs lick you, not like you're a salt lick. I'm not mad at any of that. (laughs) So what happens after Wicked? Um, you know, I had been writing with a couple of college buddies who both were like in the government jobs. One was in Chicago, one was in uh, Jersey Boys. And we spent all these years. Why do you call them government jobs? Because <laughs> they're they're unending. They just keep going. <laughs> like, they're reliable. They're reliable like the government. <laughs> or not like the government. Pre two thousand sixteen. Oops. Clarify. <laughs> oh my god. So um, we were writing nonstop, and we started giving our scripts around to people there were tv and film scripts and people were like you have to go to la if you want to sell this and i had had again i had an experience (laughs) um i did something called capes coaching and they have this class called the path class and basically it's like like how to like make your goals happen like the goals you have right you know it's like all like all coaching it's right. like steps how to break stuff down to baby steps but they did have a couple of things that were really interesting i mean the whole thing was brilliant by the way no the whole thing was interesting let me correct that there was something that was particularly um more of a spiritual thing and they have you do this meditation and they tell you five years ahead 10 years ahead 20 years ahead and i imagine myself in san francisco i, I like kind of had this vision of me 20 years later in san francisco like living my best life on the west coast and and then sort of like after that all this stuff started happening to take me out here 
And, you know, I'm like every New Yorker. I'm an asshole. Every New Yorker's an asshole when they move out here at first. Like, they don't get it. They're, like, trying to rush their life. Like, they, they're, they're like, everyone's too slow. Let's go. You yeah. Know? It's they're like, so where bound. is everything? Yeah. <laughs> Why does everything take so long? Get to <laughs> right. it. Yeah. So I'm mad. And I was definitely that person. And I had a two-year plan. I was like, two years, sell it, film it in New York. I'll move back to New York. Be fierce. With my riches. I mean, because that's how it works. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so... Um, I get out here and I'm literally thinking guys, and I'm not even kidding you because I'm such a compartmentalizer. I was like, I'm leaving my acting career behind. I've done everything I want to do. I've done <laughs> film. I've done TV. I could co-star on film. a show that like lasted for three episodes on TV. And I've done Broadway. I am, I have a platinum album. I'm fine. I, I want you, to be a writer. I how you put the accent <laughs> over way. Broadway. Oh, Broadway. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was around Moira Rose too. I get her so much. So I came here thinking I was really leaving all that behind and just going to write. And then literally, guys, three weeks here, like this you're this is my anniversary day this is when i pulled up into la driving across country wow happy at 10 year anniversary oh 10 years okay so not a month later i remember it because it was saint patty's day and who was at the bar at 11 a.m drinking me (laughs) and who got a call at one o'clock um that i had an audition for mike and molly and it was many many pages and i needed to memorize as much as possible and it was like at the time it was like monologue like tv show like a share at an oa meeting monologue and i was like (laughs) okay i guess i know about that so i put this green beer down yeah so i had to put down my little my little um spiked coffee my irish coffee and i was like somebody take me home (laughs) and i like got to like memorizing everything well i ended up testing for mike and molly was this for the lead? Yeah. Oh. And it was like, and I didn't know at the time, like, that Melissa McCarthy, who at the, she was always my, before Bridesmaids, I was yeah. obsessed with her. Like, I love Samantha Who so much. Oh, don't even get me started it's on Samantha so Who. And, and people don't know that show. No, She's and it should have genius in it. Forever. I know. Christina Applegate, too. Amazing oh, oh, in it. Esposito, all of Oh, the whole cast. Brilliant. So, when I found out, like, you know, I go through the whole process, like, a week, like boom, boom, boom. Audition, ca- whole casting department, producers, work session, testing. I was like, it, within a week, all that had happened. And I was like signing that. Co- they make you sign the contract before you go in for your test. And it's six years of your life. And I'm looking at six years of my life. And I'm like, I don't really know how this could work. Like, I'm I'm really confused. And then to find out, like, oh, Melissa McCarthy got. I'm like, well, of course Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> like, what are you? talking about like why were you even bringing me in but obviously that set up something that was like you're not finished you're not done yeah and I sort of and then we all tried to live together which was not a good idea and we kind of all sort of pulled apart and our relationship writing relationship pulled apart and um everybody's cool and my best friend is still my best friend like it's all good but I realized like I'm I'm much more writing life is very um you know, the thing they don't tell you is that it's really solitary. Oh, yeah. yeah. And unless you work with partners, and then that's complicated. So I'm a very good, like, idea person, which is why I'm in sketch, a really great sketch group right now. And that's really feels great. And yeah. it feels like the way I do want to write. And if I am going to write, it is going to be that way. Um, but, yeah, and then I got to do Rent at the Hollywood Bowl and with, you know, Neil Patrick Harris. who How like was that? Oh. I was, well, it was phenomenal. I had never done rent though. So, and I also had never done summer stock. So, <laughs> I didn't understand what you had to do to put a show up in 10 days. And people just like expect things of you. And I was like, oh, you mean you want me to learn all these words like overnight? Like, while I'm supposed to be sleeping? Like, it was just, I was like, bisexuals, trisexuals. I was like, what is this song? Like, I mean, and I was like one of two people who had never done the show before. Like, everybody else had done the show. Right. I think maybe three of us had not done it. And I was correct. I mean, I could not believe how long, much I had to learn in such a short amount of time. 
<laughs> I was like, oh, I, I, this is why I never did summer stock because I would have been fired from every job I ever would have had. I am terrible. So it was. I can't, with this, this, I can't stop laughing throughout this whole episode. But it's all true. And honestly, Neil Patrick Harris is an incredible director. I wish he would direct theater more. He was so great. Paul Oakley and I did it. I just love that man. Like, there's so many people that I love who did it. It it just was such a incredible Tracy Tom's such an incredible incredible experience. And again, I get to do these things like that means something. Like it's it's I just am really I've been really lucky. Been really lucky, and had so I, so I had so the two year plan was like done. I was like evolving here in a way I'd never allowed myself to evolve in New York. Um. And that's what made me stay. And I was like, oh, I love the pace here. I have time and space for grace. And in New York, that I was not allowing myself that. I was just running on E all the time. Yeah, you just get swept up. Yeah, trying to find that next adrenaline yeah. rush. And here it's like I'm actually growing as a person. Like I feel like I, like I know my calling in a whole different way. Like, everything I do has meaning. Like, I don't know. And in New York, I, you kind of get in the race of it. And yep. I had a boyfriend who once told me that. I, he was a year older than me in college. And he was like, oh, you, you like the rat race. And I was like, I'm not in the rat race. I'm an artist, you know. And then, like, I come out here and I was like, bitch, I was in a rat race. You were race. on that rat I was race. On, I was in that subway tunnel with them rats. Oh, Racing. Yeah. So, so you, and you're also growing in acting style wise, right? I def I mean Because you were doing other things as well. I mean, you were you were on American Horror Story Freak Show, you were in this thriller movie called The Loft. Yeah. And uh, you know, my personal favorite, now everybody gets to say, Oh yeah. <laughs> you were in Magic Mike, Double XL. I mean, it wasn't a bad gig at all. I still get paid yeah. for that. Those checks keep coming. Every time they do a little production of it, all those straight dudes are like, I got to see this movie. And then I get a little check. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm looking at Kim like, all them bodies. Oh, yeah. What was the hair? That set like, hanging around on that set. Come well, on now. It, you know, let's be real. It was a bunch of country bumpkins in the audience. <laughs> they had gotten to be extras. Right. They did not sign up for the 10 hour schedule. They were like, we have to be here. How long in our heels? <laughs> they were not having it. Um, but we were very pampered. We were treated so fantastic. It was actually a principal role, which they didn't have to do that. Yeah. They, it was really cool. That's awesome. And the guys picked us, which was so nice. Like, um, they all had like final say on who those last girls were. And um, my friend Chad Darnell was the casting director and he, I, I kidded, so this is the craziest story. I don't, is this the first time I've ever told this on, on air? You might be getting an exclusive. Oh. I think this is an exclusive. <laughs> this everybody. is an exclusive. Grace yourselves. So I got to do American Horror Story basically because I showed them how obsessed I was with Kathy Bates and I gave a really good reading but in my audition I was like I yeah she's 5'3 and I'm 5'2 and she has blue eyes I have green ones whatever I could totally look like her so um, <laughs> I was a little cuckoo I like gave her whole IMDB page um they were like you're scary but we like you so um they flew me down and you know you're in first class it's like yeah and um it's so early it's like hella early in the morning and I'm like you know like all crazy looking like 6 a.m flight and, like, some guy walks up next to me with, like, this voice. He's like, um, hey, um, good morning. Like, it was just, like, so nice. And I turn up, and there's this, like, face, like, the sun rising. Backlit. And I was like, oh, you're Matt Bomer. <laughs> and I literally turned, and I flushed from my tatas to the top of my head, like, pink purple. I was so flushed. And I and he like pulls out his American Horror Story script, which is red, and mine's too. And I start pulling out mine. I'm like, "Oh, are you in the show?" <laughs> and so we started talking. Now, I did a play with his prom date, and we played sisters, Susaretta. We were like such good friends, and in the play, we're like really like sisters. And I was like, 
I worked with your prom date, Cesaretta. So then that was it. And then we compared all the people we knew from school. And um, so we kiki lalad. And then I let him be because he had a lot more work to do than I did. Although I was shocked at what I had to do because none of this was in my audition material. I have to give birth outside? What? Like, I have to pull out a gun on someone while holding a baby? What? Like, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in my episode. So I was catching up, too. But so I called Chad Darnell because I knew he's working with him. And Matt was like doing this on the sly. And I was like, hey, guess who I met? I met your boo. I'm here in, you know, New Orleans while you're there with him in, you know, um, Savannah. And he's like, I'm going to spin this for you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> no idea what he's talking about. And he what calls. What was he talking about? He calls back and is like. Okay, Matt is totally on board with you being his girl at the end of the movie. So you need to send me your materials so Soderbergh and the director and Channing, as in Tatum, can see your stuff. I was like, pourquoi? Hold up. So <laughs> literally as I was home and I was as I was in New Orleans, I was like, what? And he literally got me that job. And so after I was living my best life, New Orleans, ah! I mean, I was losing my mind. Hair in exactly. New Orleans. Yeah. It was incredible. Girls was trip. Incredible. Girls trip. Right. So. Girls trip. Yes. yes. And then, so I got back to LA and I was like, oh, sorry guys. In three weeks, I got to go to Savannah to be with Matt Bummer and Channing Tatum. I mean, like to do magic. I mean, that was like, talk about the fall. It was like the fall of my dreams. And then... Chad had all of like his great girlfriends come and do it. So we all like hung out. We were, it was like girls camp. It was like adult girls camp. I love and it. we were stupid. I went to brunch because you know I love brunch. I went to brunch every time I could with or without anybody. We hung out at night. Went to, the, I mean, it was awesome, awesome. And my episode of American Horror Story was on the air while I was filming Magic Mike. So I made my friend Sarah Beth Bassick watch it with me, even though she can't stand scary movies. I was like, <laughs> we'll just get to my part. We'll just get to my part. And it's so like, it was like the coolest, wildest thing. Yeah, it was a great fall. You're like, I'm he, really doing it. And he honestly is so sweet and gorgeous and incredible and talented. And he sang to me and then put his face in my crotch. I mean, there's not like... We've been there together. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> He's the best head of hair I've ever, ever touched in my life. Goodness. Like, I'm, like, ruined. Like, I can't. No guy compares. Okay, right? You're like, you touched yeah, his hair. you don't have bomber hair. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of like, your hair's I. That's cute. Uh, Whatever. It's I. Yeah. But, no, it was great. And he, and he is... Every, he is as lovely as and funny and like sly funny you know like like because he looks so sweet you know and he is so sweet and then all of a sudden he'll have a thing and you're like ooh, you are reading like it was fun. <laughs> you want to talk about reading <laughs> <laughs> so true so it's when so do you true. start doing sketch comedy I have my show plus this that you very sweetly talked about at the beginning. That's right. And um, it's a weekly show on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. And um, (laughs) it's just plug, plugging. Um, So uh, out of that, you know, when that is so intense when I am on the air, I'm on the air about like six months out of the year. And then when I'm done, I feel like I have nothing to do. But it kind of gets me in like fat activist circles and stuff like that. And I'm on this one Facebook page, and a woman, Nikki Bailey, said, I'm a comic, and I really want to have a fat women's comedy group. Email me your stuff. I was totally and completely obnoxious because I felt so not enough to be, <laughs> to be like, applying for this because I, I did end up once. Like, I never written a sketch in my whole life. Like, I had, like, a five-minute short that I wrote. So I sent – I just, like, sent her everything. It was, like, completely obnoxious. And she was so sweet. And she's like, I'm a total fan of Plus This. Are you kidding? Yes. Like, come over. Hang out. So then this group of women, we end up calling it Fatch. Fat plus sketch equals Fatch. And it literally has, like, been life-changing. It's been life-changing. I just – like, being an artist who is putting – their fatness first and isn't hiding it and isn't making it a trope, but also just doing like regular ordinary things. But I get to be the lead in them or some other fat girl gets to be the lead in them because in any other sketch you'd be like the grandma part or like 
you know, the best friend who acts like, oh, what's up? You know, right. You know, I got another one of those auditions the other day and I was like, <laughs> throw that out the window. Um, you know, and it's made me like really picky about what I'm willing to do on the professional level. By the way, things have been very quiet on the TV film side mm. because when you start to have standards, you say no a lot and people get yeah, mad at you. Right. And I just don't care. I'm just like old enough not to care and to be settled like if it's not fantastic, if it's not like matching what my musical theater experiences have been and you're not respecting me as a person and it's not like saying something to the world, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in trite garbage anymore unless it's like ridiculously funny. Like I'm working on this piece, Titanic, which is ridiculously funny. And that is bringing such joy to people. But I also got to rewrite my part. Like, it was a bunch of fat jokes when I got there. And I was right. like, hey, how about we don't do this and do something else? And they let me. So, you know, I, um, yeah, I just am like, I feel so centered and and realizing like the power of just saying this is actually who I am and this is what I want to be in my art too. And I'm not going to mold myself into something that you want me to be that's some kind of trope or or erroneous Stereotype. idea yeah. of what I am or what fat people are in general. They're, fat people aren't anything in general. We're 68% of the population. We're everything. Well, let's talk, up, let's talk about the word fat. Please. Because a lot of people think of fat as like a bad, the other F word. Like sure. you can't say yes. fat, like it's a bad word. Right. We don't like fat. You discourage, you know, I have a, a kid and I, I hear people sort of like spit, well, yeah, no, chubby, you can say, you know, don't say fat. So why... Why do you say fat? You know, it has so much weight, the word fat. And that is because people think of it as a morality issue. People mm -hmm. think if you're fat, therefore you are lazy, therefore you are gluttonous, therefore you are et cetera, et cetera. And that's why they, and they also know that there's a hella huge privilege to being thin. And if you are labeled fat, that is the lowest common denominator. And that is like it. Like that is like you will be on the bottom of the totem pole in society. And saying the word fat as a descriptor, as something that's just neutral, mm -hmm. just like someone's tall, just like someone's short, like whatever. Someone has brown skin, someone has, you know, long hair and not putting any kind of value in a moral way is really empowering when you are that. And it also comes with it, no expectation to change. Do you know what I mean? Like I say I'm fat because I, I don't feel like I need to change it. I'm not apologizing for my fatness. So why wouldn't I just say that I'm a fat woman? I am. You look at me and I am. So um, I think that what we, I mean, listen, I have one of my earliest memories was when I was five years old and I was dancing and I was with my cousins and they were all like real thin. I was five. They were like four and like seven and they were real, real thin and all tumblers and twisty. And I was just like this soft, plump thing in a pink sequin tutu. And I remember in, my dad had brought me this huge bouquet of flat roses and I remember holding them in front of me in every picture hiding because I didn't want anyone to take pictures of my body wow at, I five. at five years old I knew I was fat and I knew I was different and when I tell you I tell this I told this story to people forever and ever and I would laugh and be like oh I was so chubby huh? and I would laugh about it like right. that horrible high-pitched laugh that's like not okay and then um Joe Mantell our director of Wicked the first week of rehearsals was like bring in a photograph of when you loved you did it for the love and I like insisted on getting this photo for some reason. I was like, mom, you got to scan it, scan it to me, email it to me. <laughs> and when I got it and I opened it and I was not fat and when um. I was not a fat child, when I tell you I burst into tears, like, like talk about taking something to therapy. Like I could not believe what my memory remembered and the feeling and how it was completely detached to what I actually looked like. So because I had an older brother who had weaponized the word very early and mm. would call me fat constantly. Right. And I had a mother whose mother called her, was very concerned about her weight and had her on like, you know, weight loss drugs, which basically was speed since she was like 16. Oh, yeah. You know, I had a thing 
I can't, I don't have a memory where I don't remember that. And so now that I am what I am, and I pretty much have like diet cycled up to this weight that I am, which isn't that much even heavier than I maintained my whole life. But I'm like really okay. Like the freedom I feel and the freedom in my brain we waste as women period no matter what you look like we waste so much time thinking about our bodies so much that when I tell you once that part of my brain was free I literally was like oh I'm like an evil genius and I'm gonna take over everything because <laughs> I can't believe yeah how it's so I've much bandwidth that's being used yes. I grew up in the 70s know how are we, we yeah, the same yeah 70s diet culture was huge my grandmother and mother i lived between the two of them and they were always on every single diet the grapefruit diet the optifast the this the that the other i never remember anybody talking about health i never remember them exercising but always on a diet and my my grandmother probably was between an eight and a ten all that time my mom probably a ten and a twelve and it's like my mom now will look back and say wow i really wish I had like realized and constantly do I look fat in this do my arms look fat do my and I'd just be like ah what relax ladies yeah it's exhausting yeah and now that's the turn this season of plus this is going to be I've been coaching a couple people to test it out um, and have had really great results, and I'll have them on the show, Knockwood, to um, talk about that, like the transforming that they've had in their lives. And um, I've sort of built a course, kind of like based on what I've sort of figured out doing plus this. Like it's not just about my body. It's about going to the doctor. It's about getting paid less. It's about my sexuality. It's about like there's so many Like, fat phobia affects so many parts of anybody's life, but particularly women's life. And now, unfortunately, gay men, too, um, are having that happen. And I'm, like, coaching people to sort of, like, re-evaluate that and the things that society tell them and kind of giving them, like, the truth and, like, what studies say. And, like, this isn't your fault. This is a thing that society has put on us like fatness is a problem your fatness isn't a problem fat phobia is the problem so I'm doing some coaching on that and I'm gonna bring on a guest once a week well once every two weeks like well they'll be on one week for coaching and then the next week sort of follow up with them so I'm hoping so if anybody out there is interested in this work and would like to email me plus this show at gmail.com you might be a guest on my show (laughs) I love it. So important because people think too, I mean, thin doesn't necessarily mean you're healthy. All that type obsession with, you know, when I was growing up with being thin and not being healthy, I mean, eating crap. It's so ironic too, because they would, you know, they'd be on these diets and meanwhile, they're feeding meat like the most horrific Hormel chili. Like, let's talk about some healthy, can we get a vegetable up in here? Like. It was just yeah. about being skinny. It did not. Yeah, and the yeah. trolls who come after fat people are like, you're you're headed for diabetes and death. And I'm like, do thin people never get diabetes? Do thin people never die? Like, we're all dying. Like, I don't, like, thanks for wishing death upon me. But guess what? It's coming for you, too. And the quality of my life is pretty fucking good. Yeah. You know? I'm a dancer. I've been on Broadway. Like, oh, no. yeah. Come on, I can no. still kick and stretch. kick and stretch. <laughs> and kick. Anyway. You talk about the word fat being weaponized as you were growing up and you use it today as a norm, you know, as a normative word for you. Yeah. Why not plus sized all or full figured you think fluffy or yeah or fluffy are those terms just a watered down version of the image that you want to kind of push forward in a positive way you know I think it's funny we call the show plus this because um the fashion industry created plus sized as their tool for separating us and it's Mm -hmm. like plus what like like on top of what extra what plus what so that's why plus this was a thing um I use plus size also 
I don't use fluffy. I'm not a dog. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm cute as hell, but I'm not no dog. Um, Her and hair I, is a little fluffy. My hair too. is real fluffy tonight. I showed up. Y'all missing it. Looks good, it. We'll have to take a picture so people can I'm gonna take a picture, put on my Instagram. Oh. Um, but um, you know, um, I for a while I always used the chubs. Like I always kind of when I was on Broadway, I'd be yeah. like, oh, I'm the chubs. Me and all the chubs are auditioning for hairspray. You know what I mean? I would use right. that term. So I still have that as like a term of endearment. I think that it's kind of fun to use the word fat and see how people respond to it, quite yeah. honestly. Just like, it's kind huh? of it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and coming from if we're going back, like being in hair and singing songs like sodomy and singing songs like, um, you know, uh, white boys and stuff like that. So knowing the shock value actually has value in making people rethink about how they feel about things. Yep. Like people who have a problem with the word fat have a problem with fatness. Mm, And I don't. Mm -hmm. So if someone is guffawed at it, um, and if it has a, com- you shouldn't say that about yourself. You're beautiful. Then all of a sudden, I get to have an opener of, well, fatness and beauty are not opposing. Right. You can be fat, and it's not. They're not fat exclusive or, from each yeah. other. You yeah. Guys. Exactly. <laughs> Don't exactly. say that. So. It's like, yeah, and that right. happens a lot. Wow. I mean, you shouldn't say that about yourself. I'm like, <laughs> except it's the truth. So why wouldn't I say that about myself? And it's okay, and it doesn't. It doesn't define me except for in the way that other people are trying to. Yeah. So. So plus this is your vlog podcast slash podcast that you do on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. Fatch comedy is the sketch comedy that you are involved in. Yes. Me and Kim went to see a show you did. wait did we see two shows or one show Front row. i think you guys have seen two. i saw one. Oh, okay yeah you came to the ucb show yeah i came to the ucb show too you guys are the best can i tell you just how not only eye-opening but refreshing it was to see all these and i'm just gonna say the word fat women uh just do their thing now when i say fat women y'all Get rid of what you think a fat woman is, right? I mean, I I would love to call them curvy, voluptuous. I mean, yes, you know what I'm saying, and. like full, <laughs> full and fig- fat. It's full okay, figured. and yes, yeah. fat is okay. But most, you know, most of them weren't as fat as the other. I mean, it was just an array of body types, sizes, colors. Yes, yeah, all that, and all this confidence was the the main idea that that just exuded from all these women. And it was just so good to see that. It was really eye-opening and super, super funny. I love that you had a good time. We work so hard. And as you know, when you're making something yourself, like it's a lot of performing in a living room for each other. And like, is this going to land, you know? And especially at the show at the Plus Bus, we tried out a lot of new stuff. And that was like one of the best audiences we've ever had. If you don't know the Plus Bus, it's a plus size consignment store. And it's why I look so good all the time. I just bring in my stuff, get get credit, <laughs> and just put it right back into that store. Um, and they it's a warehouse space, so they get to move stuff around. And we literally are like, bring your own chair and you can come in the audience for free. And there were like 60 people in that space, which is crazy. Find me a place where six fat women are in a show. Find me a place. They're not. We're not not even in Shrill, which is the TV show about fatness. Yeah. Hmm. Like in one scene, they had, you know, one of the uh, Chunky Dunks, you know, one of the pool parties, which are really fun when you get to go to one. Chunky Dunk. Yes. Why do I want to go to a Chunky Dunk now? What is that about? you're going to come with me. I went to one in Beverly Hills. It's cute. I had a cute bikini on. It's fun. You're going to come with me next time. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. And that was like the first, that was the only time I think in the series there were more than like maybe three people. Wow. But even three plus size women at one time on a screen is such a big deal. No, you don't see it. No, Superstore is the other thing. I mean, 
I have friends who take me to those for your consideration events and Superstore, they asked me to go and I was more than happy to because I think it's great. And the episode they showed, it was just like an ordinary episode where they're having like a meeting in the, the break room and there are four plus size women in it on screen. And I like legit had a moment. Like I got teary. I found America Ferrara afterwards and everyone else taking selfies with her, all this stuff. And I was like, I don't need a selfie. I want to tell you something. And I told her and I got teary again. I was like the fact that I saw women who look like me and there were four of them in one scene is tremendous. And nobody else is doing that on TV except you. And she got, she got for clumps. Like we had a moment. I'm telling you, it's a big deal. And so I know just us showing up on a stage is a statement, but the fact that people actually laugh and think that we're funny, we think we're hilarious, but you know, it takes a minute. The straight size people need a minute. We were in San Francisco at San Francisco sketch fest and we thought we, we sold out houses, but we also shared the bill with people. Right. So it was not all, it was not an all fat audience at all. And, um, um, it took a second. They were like, wait a minute. I, thought, I have this old lady character, Miss Emma. And they were not having how she was talking to poor Nikki <laughs> on stage. <laughs> they didn't get it at first. They were like crickets. At the wow. end when she killed me, they were like, clap, clap. They were like, <laughs> not, the not sure what's happening. <laughs> yeah, it took a couple sketches for them. But then by the end, people flip out. It's, we just realized we have to warm them up, you know? And yeah. And that's part of it. If you've never seen it before or you think that bringing up these things are taboo or rude. I remember there's a guy I worked with who I showed my, um, I have a short film called What I Really Want to Say. And I, there are a bunch of chapters of it. I have like a bunch of scripts that I would love if anyone, again, I'm plugging everything. If anyone gives me $10,000, I can make seven more of these. So I can make all the chapters about fatness and what fat women actually want to say to you on any given day when you talk about their bodies in a way they don't like um anyway <laughs> hit them with that cash I, app yeah, girl Come on, <laughs> I'm, i got the whole breakdown you want a, a proposal i got a one page I'll send it out. um plus the show at gmail.com oh my god i'm such an asshole anyway so <laughs> i'm like blushing i'm such an asshole so um i showed it to a friend and it's basically that happened to me in real life. A very thin woman was like, oh, have you lost weight? And I was like, oh, no, I'm the same. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've lost weight. And I'm like, no, no, honest to God, I, I'm the same as I Have you weighed yourself? Because I'm oh. pretty sure I'm right. I was like, no, I don't have a scale. I don't know. And then she's like, come on it. And I was like, like, why do you get to talk about my weight? So it's a whole like. It's basically me imagining, like, reading her for filth. And then I turn into the Incredible Hulk at the end. I <laughs> or love She-Hulk. it. Or She-Hulk, because I'm mad. I'm really <laughs> kind of mad like that in life sometimes. And a friend was like, I just didn't understand, like, she was being nice to you. Oh, and, no. Like, they didn't get what it meant. And I was like, there's going to be people out there who feel that way. We still got work to do. Yeah, still work to do. That It's like commenting on a woman's body is not okay. Right. It's not okay period even if you think that losing weight is the best thing that ever could have happened to me and the best compliment you could ever give me why not ask me what like I'm doing to change the world because guess what I'm doing a lot of that like we don't as women like we don't ask each other like things about the world and like how we feel in it and are you okay and there's so much going on you could ask people about you're going to comment on my body? Please suck a dick. I just can't. <laughs> Do you know I went up to a spa? My friend invited me to this really fancy spa in Ojai. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm totally segueing into the story because I need to tell you it because I swore at this woman and I have to tell you how I did it. <laughs> so, please, we were, we were, we were, <laughs> that. we were, wait, I wait to hear this one. This is unbelievable and a totally true story and maybe it'll show up in a sketch. I'm in this fancy, fancy place. We were up till five in the morning partying, playing games, you know, drinking, being silly. And it was rough. It was noon the next day. And we were like on a schedule. She had things planned for us. So we're in like the little muffin market. I don't know what it's called. And I just like eating a muffin. And I was wandering toward a different exit than my friend. He was like, Deech. And he called across the place. There was one woman sitting there, uh, one other woman in the place. And she actually wasn't sitting yet. She was standing. And the way I could get closest to the door would to be for her to move so I could weave and go out the door. And she saw me and stiffened. 
and was like, oh, I'm not moving for you. Oh, no. Yeah. And so I like stared her in the eye because I'm from Philly and I'm crazy. I stared her in the eyes as I walked around the table and kept going. And as I passed her, she went, wow. And I literally turned to her in her face and I said, eat a dick, bitch. <laughs> and I left <laughs> the fanciest fucking muffin place in all of Ohio. I promise you, I'm done. People don't get to make comments anymore. Yeah. Like if you're in my vicinity, things have things have changed. <laughs> People change. I'll sacrifice tomorrow. I know you know that jam. <laughs> Just to have you here today. Expose, uh, honey. Yes. Anyway, so with you. that's my eat a dick story. <laughs> Love it. My parents are gonna be so proud. <laughs> so where are you guys performing next? Can wow. We, can we tell the um, people? We have there's like an offer on the table. Okay. So we're the next thing is to sort of figure out what our next steps are because we've been so crazy this year so far. We're trying to get, like, a show every few months that's, like, a big deal. Yeah. Like, we've sold out the UCB main stage space on Sunset. That's awesome. And we feel as though we could do that every few months yeah. if they would allow us. Website? Um, the people should check, like, to keep up with the shows. Com, okay, so we'll put that sure. in the... be on our mailing list and we'll yeah. be sending stuff out to you. Awesome. Um, we are also... A lot of people across the country have been asking us, like, when are you coming here? When are you coming here? So we're sort of building up a Patreon base. Okay. So that even if it's just, like, $5 a month, like, eventually that'll turn into a tour. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, if we get enough people... And, you know, that's what my friend Rodney Toe, who has directed my short film and is a dear friend and he directed our show that we took up to San Francisco um, with Thatch. He said, you know, as marginalized people, the only way you get people to notice is if you build it yourself. And if you build that fan base and get $5 at a time, your own thing, and then be like, wait a minute, they have 12,000 people on their Patreon and they're like taking themselves, you know, across the country to do it. Then people all of a sudden pay attention to you. He's like, it's kind of the only way it happens. And, you know, that feels like a lot, but I also know where there's a will, there's a way. And, I don't want to do it just, I don't, other girls feel differently about this in the group and maybe, maybe it's like I've been through enough and I'm a little cynical. I, but I don't, I truly don't need the big, huge gig. Like I don't need HBO to christen me as deemed worthy right. to be on their network or whatever. Like I'm not, I'm not in it for that. I'm in it so that women and frankly, non-binary folks and men to see themselves represented on stage when they don't get to in a positive light. And, and I know what we give to people who look like us when we perform for them. And if we can take that on the road and like do that in a significant, and if like sketch comedy groups pop all over the country because of us who look like us, because they're not like, there are not fat girls in UCB or in the Groundlings or they're just not and it's bananas so I'm more interested in like what we're doing across the country and like the potential of that so I'm trying to work I got it in it at UPenn in Philly I'm gonna try to work that a little bit okay. you know put that out there it's a new moon y'all I need to do some juju <laughs> get my crystals get your my crystals candles. charge right. those crystals exactly. honey get that sage exactly. burn it Exactly. So, you know, but um, you guys are tremendous in what you're doing. And thank you for just like being such allies and, oh God, and thank awesome. You. No, thank you for just coming to our show and keep keying with us. And being your whole effervescent self. Come on, <laughs> effervescent. I sang a little. You didn't you have to did. ask me. You sure I did. Know. It's because I like unsolicited you. Unsolicited <laughs> and stuff. We're going to have to clear that. Seasons change. <laughs> My favorite. I want to go listen to it right now. I freaking love you so much. Oh, thank I you, thank you, you thank you so much for coming and sharing your stuff with us, your story. I know there's a little ditch out there living for this story. Oh, yeah. and it needs to be heard. Sing. Yeah. Oh, little ditches. <laughs> little that makes me so happy. You know, big girls sing. Come on now. I never really met a big girl who couldn't sing. <laughs> That's just the truth and the light. <laughs> Let them sing. 
All right, y'all. Well, <clears throat> this was <clears throat> another episode of work. My name is Louis Extravaganza. Kim Blackwell. Yes, and we will see you what the next time. Bye. <laughs>